0: My name is Dr. Josephine Paladmo, and my superpower is creating business cultures that transform organizations team by team. Today, I'm joined by Russell Pearson, who is living my dream lifestyle of the four hour week and runs a successful coaching advisory business. With a background in design and marketing, we cover topics around ideal client and talent attraction and what shifts business owners need to make today I'm sure you're going to enjoy this conversation. It's been lovely to meet you too, so um, I'm really looking forward to the conversation. And uh, we're going to jump right into it. It's uh, Thursday morning, so let's just go for it. 100%.
1: How, are
0: you? how are you? I should ask you though, how are you?
1: <laughs> I'm very good, very good. <laughs> uh, it's, not, it's not too early, so it's beautiful.
0: Oh, great, because it is are are you okay day today so it is. Um, Yeah, so I really mean it when I ask you how how are you rather than the you know just do well, it's uh, let fine me and let let's me move on
1: bring it back to you are you okay <laughs>
0: I'm good, I'm good today, yes, yes, so um i'm I'm doing all right this week, so excellent, yeah, fantastic so so Russell, when we um spoke um a while ago, you told me that you pretty much just do a four hours of real work a week, and I'm very um curious about that. I want to hear more about that. But you're obviously producing amazing results in communication and marketing and helping others do the Mm -hmm. same. You're a speaker, you're a podcast host yourself. I know you've um, hosted the marketing report and your consulting business. There might be another one that I don't know about. And you run a successful coaching advisory for business owners. So (sighs) <sighs> you know, that's a lot. To um, tell us a little bit though, be, uh, before we go into all of that, um, about your career journey and how you got here today.
1: Sure, and and to be to you know be honest up front, the the four hour work week idea was never something I wanted to chase. It was never a a purposeful mission. It just turned out that way. Uh, and I got started. Um, it's weird. It's because you could go like, how far back could you go? Because um, I actually had a, a gallery opening at the age of eight. Love it. Um, and it was important to actually note that because um, back then my father wanted me to be an art restorator. And so I'd been doing these art classes and uh, had got relatively good in that space. Uh, and then when I, I went to school, I found out that actually art restoration was um, uh, just all chemicals and, and chemistry. And I'm like, nah, that's not for me. And uh, I got into design because while I was good at illustration back in the the early 90s, illustration was starting to go away because um, photography was taking over. Uh, There was uh, a lot less jobs for illustrators. And so I got into this design space and I fell in love with the the concept of design. And uh, I was a graphic designer. Um, But, uh, you know, it's one of those things, you're a graphic designer, but I'm also doing, you know, music and piano on one side, I'm doing art on the other, and and so I'm one of those guys that's doing all those little bits and pieces. Uh, And what was cool about that is when I started learning the principles and understanding of design is I started to be able to see things through different lenses. So I could start seeing things through the lens of music, I could start seeing the the lens of art, um, but also then psychology and, and the other things that come around communication. So when I, when I started uh, working for a design company in the, I think it was uh, mid to late sort of like 97, um, um, when I started working for them, I was already looking at sort of design thinking in what we were doing before design thinking was a thing. You know, I thought it was weird when everyone started talking in the 2000s about design thinking because we were already doing it. So it was great because those early days actually gave me a little bit of a head start into to how I started seeing things, and um, we had already started doing web design before two thousand. We had already started doing video production um, for our clients. I was working with a lot of large pharmaceutical clients. So uh, back in the nineties, there was so much money they would just throw it at oh, us. Oh
0: wow!
1: Yeah, yeah, and so it was like uh, you know, AstraZeneca and Pfizer, and we were doing all their. Um, Uh, their big sales events because they had so much money and so many salespeople that we would create these great videos and they're all um, uh, motivational and all these things were happening. It was fun. And that was the time that I started going, oh, what else could we do? What else could we do? And, And we started developing into all these areas. And that's when podcasting came out. And podcasting was huge in changing the way I saw things because suddenly I wasn't just looking at things through my own little bubble of, you know, here in Australia and here in Melbourne even. But I started hearing these people around the world I started hearing from, you know, Brian Tracy, I started hearing from Jim Rohn, I started hearing from Zig Ziglar and and these people are telling me that I can do all these things. right? Right. And I'm like, wow. Um, and so it wasn't long before I outgrew the, uh, the design space because what happens with a designer which is interesting is when you start you're always looking at the aesthetics and and a lot of designers actually don't get out of that you're looking at you know what is it that this design is doing and then stepping back from that what is this design communicating how does this design fit or how does this communication fit into a campaign how does this campaign fit into the goals of the business then stepping back you know how do you design a business and it's it's a nice way of stepping back and, and, and broadening the idea. Because if you're doing graphic design, there's only you know, so much you can do. But once you start looking at how you can do the, the campaign, suddenly, you're a marketing person, stepping back from that, suddenly, you're a business advisor. And while I say suddenly, this is a 25 year journey.
0: <laughs> right? Yeah.
1: <clears throat> so there's about nine years in the design space. Um, uh helping these people who were in large corporations take these campaigns to market and then i start in small business thanks to people like brian tracy and others uh and i and i start my my business and it's interesting the way it actually started uh i was uh, a person i was working with was referred to melway <clears throat> now melway are a, a street directory here in melbourne and it's a bit of an institution, and had been for for yes, decades.
0: I remembered Melways, no
1: and they'd been having the same person do their cover for twenty five years, and um, this guy didn't want to do it. He goes, "Ah, I haven't got time," uh, and he goes, "Would you like to do it?" I said, "Yeah, I wouldn't mind having a look." And so I went to this meeting, and they 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 asked me to bring some samples of work that I'd done, and so I show up, and I've got like nearly a meter of books that I'm carrying in my hands like literally struggling with them it's very and un-look. I dumped them, yeah I yeah, I dumped them down on the table and they go what's this and they go I said samples of what you wanted <laughs> and they go oh, okay <laughs> you can you can do the job um and I and I got Melway as a client and I started doing their covers for uh well until I I sold the production side of my business so over a decade there as well um and it, it it gave me confidence because it was a brand that people knew. It was a brand that my father knew, which was interesting because he goes, Oh
0: wow, how'd you get you know, how'd you get that? Yeah. Everyone had a malway in their car. <laughs> it was the only way to to get around. That's yeah. right. And, and it was interesting.
1: Yeah. yeah. So so they even tried to get into the GPS market, which was fascinating. And then that just disappeared. Google just blew it up. So the so I, I, I got that first start and I'm like, oh well I can, I can do this now. I, I, I did a calculation that I only needed to be working 16 hours a week to be earning the same as I was working in a job. And so I go, All right. well, here's my notice, I'm going to go do it. And I started doing it. And it's 10am on a, it was like a Thursday morning. And I'm eating popcorn in a cinema. Going, how good's this being in business? <laughs> <laughs> and at the end of that first year, I was thirty thousand dollars in tax debt. <laughs> Great, yeah, right. And good, so yeah. I had That's to start place. learning on how to how to actually run a business, yeah, because it's very different. And that started this journey of um, working from home. Uh, my youngest uh, hadn't even been born when I started. And, uh, she was one at the time that I left home because a one-year-old learns to knock on the door constantly, (laughs)
0: uh,
1: which I loved that year. Actually. It was almost like a a, a year off, Mm -hmm. it was amazing to spend it, but, um, it was a point where I needed to get on the phone more when I realized tax debts were an issue, uh, that I, that I needed to sell more. And, uh, I. I was going to networking events, I was meeting people and someone suggested I, I go and check out this incubator. It was a business incubator. And I went to this business incubator and for $250 a week, I could get this little 10 square office, which didn't even have a window facing outwards. It just had a window facing into a hallway. <laughs> and and I thought, this is great. Yeah, you know, well, I've got my own space and no one's knocking on the door. So I, I, I got it. Um, and, and it was the first time that uh, I started to understand the difference between being alone in business and actually having people around you. And, and that's when I realized how important, um, networking is and getting to know people uh, is and the different things can people bring into your world because they have their own lens.
0: That's right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, um, an instrumental part of that was, uh, three of us no, four of us uh, came together and decided we were going to teach each other something new um once a month so me from a marketing point of view uh someone else from an hr point of view one from an accountant another guy was an it person
0: i love that idea we, we caught
1: up There was four of us and we, mm-hmm. we would share something about our space that would help each of us after a couple of months of this someone stuck their head in and go oh can i join and then another one did it and another one did. And we ended up having 60 people every single month coming to this Amazing. event where we were doing this education. And somehow I got stuck with the the MC role. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm deathly afraid of uh, public speaking. What? Yeah, right. And, which is weird because you know where it's going to go. Um, and the speaker didn't show up one day. We're there, everyone's there, 60 people all sitting, the speaker's not showing up and we're like, what are we going to do? So they go, well, Russell, you're the you're the, the MC, the president of this little thing. Uh, so you're gonna have to talk. I go, oh no. And so I stand up front, I'm not a speaker, but I'm just I'm, I'm gonna show you some things. And anyway, uh, I, I spoke for 45 minutes and there was questions and they took the questions. And after that, someone came up to me and go, you're a fantastic speaker. I go, no, 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 I'm not a speaker. You go, oh, you should do this. You should do this like professionally. You should, you should do more of these things. And it just sparked an idea that maybe I could and the next step was like putting myself up for an award. I got up in front of 200 people and I got a case of what I call the Charlie Browns, which is, if you've ever seen that cartoon, the, the, the actual animated cartoon version, when the yeah. teacher at the front of the room speaks, it sounds like wah, 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 wah. Yeah. That's how <laughs> That's... my voice sounded in my <laughs> own ears. Cause I was like about to faint when I'm doing this thing. And I made a little offer when I was up there, uh, I got off the stage, my heart's racing, but no one knows that I was freaking out. And that's when I learned that no one knows your scripts, no one knows what's going on in your head. And I'm like, oh, wow. No one could see what was actually happening. And when I got back to the office, 20 people had contacted us to say, we're interested in doing some work with you.
0: Amazing. I'm like,
1: oh, it was like painful little moment because I'm like, oh no, that means that if I want to grow, I need to get out (laughs) in front of these people. And so I start doing it. And I, and, and yeah, I did face the fear and and I still get a little freaked out, but I I step putting myself forward, getting better and better. Flash forward, I become the president of the Professional Speakers Association in Australia.
0: (laughs) Yeah. These are the roads you don't plan for, right? These are the, yeah, absolutely.
1: Mm. And and through, through that, through organizations, through networking, through meeting people, uh, I understand how small this world is and how connected we all are and how, um, how important communication is both from the platform. How do you, uh, help people receive an idea? How do you help people move to action? How do you do these things? Um, yeah. You know, and then, and then more recently understanding that you can't do anything to anybody, that it's all you, uh, just, you know, energetically coming out. Uh, but it, it got me to a place where the business was, was thriving. And uh, we built, uh, we, we moved out of the incubator, obviously. And there was a lot of, you know, there were steps through that, but we moved out. Uh, I ended up having 12 staff. Um, I start doing more advisory work within the agency that I'd built. And one day I look at the the profit and loss, and I notice that 50% of the entire turnover is just the advisory. And I'm like, oh no, I've got these 12 people who are doing half of the business and we're kind of breaking even. And there was a lot going on at that time. And I decided that I think we just need, we need to split it out because I loved the advisory. I loved helping people um, uh, realize their opportunities and then helping them take those steps toward them. And so I was just going to throw it away, but a mentor at the time said, what are your other options? And he sat down with me and we wrote a list. And one of those items on the list was to speak to the people, you know, who also run agencies. And it was funny at the time because I know a number of people had uh, gone out of business, sold their business, passed away. There was some, all these different reasons why there weren't that many. And there was a handful of people though, that I could speak to. And I spoke to one of them and, and he was right at the right time to grow. And so he bought the production side of the business, you know, through a sort of one year engagement with me. And I was able to help my team get to new roles. I was able to uh, get a little cash through the process Mm, and hand the clients over. And it was really, really nice. Yeah. So I I then move full steam into the advisory space, start getting retainers with working with companies, um, start, working deep in their business and understanding that, um, in some cases I was getting in the way because I was actually making myself a part of their system. And so then learning that I need to actually step back and enable them to run their own system and build their own system around them really moved me through to this space that I'm in now, which is helping people, uh, in particular, uh, consultants, other advisors, build a business that suits a the lifestyle they love. And that's that's rewarding because yeah. um, when I was working in the agency years ago, as a designer, we had uh, a company we were working with, we were very good at the advertising, we would bring people in to, to shop with them, but they kept losing people. And I'm like, what is happening here? And I called up the uh, the company, they were a professional services firm. I called them up during the uh, the campaign. And the campaign was like, all focused on what they thought people wanted, which was uh, we're the most professional. You'll have the most qualified people. You have the most professional experience when you come and work with us. And so we'd put that promise out to the market. And I called up during the campaign, and I got a trainee on her first week who literally dropped the phone, yelled at someone in the background, picked up the phone, and said, "Oh, sorry, what?" <laughs> and the whole professionalism thing we'd built just exploded in my face, and I'm like, "Ah, we're out there." saying we're one thing and doing another. And that's one of the reasons I really started wanting to focus on people who were good at what they did. So experts, specialists, you know, consultants who've got some experience. And so that meant that when we did work together to bring the ideal clients to work with them, they didn't just lose them out the back door because they were no good at what they did.
0: Exactly, exactly.
1: Yeah, so I found myself here.
0: And, and Russell, when you say, because um, I've heard you say that, you know, communication is a promise, and so that's kind of, to, to that point too, I think, you know, yeah. you're bringing an ideal client to someone, there's a promise in that as well, and then they're kind of communicating, um, you know, their offer, and it's a promise. So, yeah, you know, is. you don't want broken promises a lot along that chain, yeah.
1: And it's interesting, because people talk about branding like it's a thing that you do, uh, rather than a thing that you are, and... Uh, one of the quotes I think it's even on the website um, is um, your brand is the promises you break because it's, it's not just what you're putting out there into the world. It's what people's perception is of you based off what you did. So be careful what you promise, you know, promise your strengths, promise the things that you're incredibly good at and um, stop trying to be all things to all people because you're not.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of um, what we see is, you i do a lot of culture work and it's the same thing you can't lift and shift you can't just you know look at another organization and even though you love their brand you love their Mm -hmm. culture you can't actually just lift and shift it into your organization because it has to be personal it has to be really aligned to who you are and your values and you have to work on that you can't just do it as a whim
1: yeah and i and and yeah I used to work in that large big business space and we would talk about the avatar they wanted to be and you know, what was the, I always flipped the, the mission on top, um, but with the mission, the vision, the, the, the values, what they look like in action. You go, this is what we're going to be. But we never did the piece of like, yeah, but you're not that thing. <laughs> so, so, so what needs to change for you to become that exactly. thing, this massive change work. And so you end up getting into this cycle within larger organisations of the CEO is driving it based off their personality, and that happens in small business as well.
0: That's right. Yeah, that's right. And and uh, and then it's an unachievable promise or an unachievable goal, and yeah. that's where that's where you get a lot of effort I, and, but no you know, result.
1: I'm yeah. not going to call out the 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 <laughs> the, the brand, but a telecommunication telecommunications brand that uh, that made the brand promise of. Uh, we want to be famous for our customer support. And at the time, I'm thinking to myself, you're already famous for your customer support.
0: (laughs) But but... not for the things (laughs) you...
1: Not for the right reasons.
0: Exactly. Might have been a telecommunications company I used to work with. (laughs) Okay. Um, Well, so so Russell, you also... um, I know that you're also thinking about Communication as a problem um, that needs to be solved to attract the right talent into the organisation. So mm. we've been talking about the ideal client in a way, but yeah. but tell me a little bit about your thinking there.
1: Uh, a, a coach that I was working with once um, said to me when I when I mentioned that I was having trouble finding good people, they said, "Russell, you're in marketing. Like, what are you doing? Like." talent attraction is a marketing exercise and that that shifted my whole perception on it because he said you should be if talent is something that you want if people is something that you want you should be doing as much effort to attract them into the business as you do clientele because in some cases they're more important and uh, making sure that you have an ongoing not just marketing campaign, but an ongoing marketing promise to people that you're bringing into your world is so important. Now I've changed the way uh, that I run my business. I've changed the the, the need to rely on, on on talent necessarily because of the way I've shaped it. Uh, but for so many businesses and for so many of the clients that I work with who are growing in scale, it becomes such a big issue. And helping them step over the, the mental hurdle of first, marketing is not spin (laughs) marketing is not just a message we're putting out there and saying we're a thing uh it's a it's a being activity It's, it's what are we actually doing uh and then on the flip side understanding that they need to put that much effort in because things have changed because the world has changed the new rules of sales and marketing are dictated as much in the recruitment space as they are um in the client getting space
0: yeah exactly exactly and there's that there's that um You know, I think particularly I hear that a lot from um, younger, uh, early career stage, you know, workers. They're shopping Mm -hmm. around and it's very much they're looking for what organisation lives up for them to their own values and are aligned, but also just in terms of not just personal values but the the values I have about how the world, um, you know, uh, should be. uh, My, um, you know, is this organisation you know, um, doing the right thing in terms of perhaps the environment, diversity, you know, if that's what I care about. All it's such those an things. interesting point
1: because we're getting to a point now where um, uh, Gen Y, Millennial, uh, even Gen, Gen Z, you know, depends how you break it up, but they're getting to a point of middle management now. They're getting to a point where, where it's not a message that we're putting out yes. as a large organisation to tell people, they're actually seeing there the is. actuals that are happening inside the company. So it does become all right, we've made this promise. Are we keeping this promise? And um, it's incredible. The conversations I'm having at the moment, especially around middle management and then senior staff where they're, they're like suddenly woken up during the last few years and going, I have choices. I uh, I don't feel I want to have this pressure and I'm going to yeah. step to the side of yes. the, the responsibility role. And so there's this massive shortage in the middle space. Executives are still sitting where they're sitting. Uh, Graduates are still moving into the space. But there's this real gap in the middle where people are going, No, I don't want to come into work, I'm going to work for remotely. And in fact, if you say that I I can't, well, I'm going to go and speak to these people who are going to pay me double to do exactly that. And so there has to be more in it, there needs to be more than just transactional. Otherwise, you know, if you were to take it to the, the retail market, it's a race to the bottom on price.
0: Exactly, exactly. That's right. And and I've got a um, uh, one of my colleagues. She's she runs a, a very successful um, IT company, a service company. So they ser- mm. they sort of service middle to large organisations in terms of all of their you know IT infrastructure, and she's finding it very difficult to get. Um, staff, you know, qualified staff because there's this real shortage in that area. It's very technical area, but it also requires someone who's very good with people. So you've got to have the, you know, two sides of the coin. And and I um and so so she'll she'll talk to me about it, but I can see as much as she has the intention of developing the kind of culture that, Mm -hmm. you know, that she knows people want to flourish in, I can see that she really, her leadership style is very much still in that command and control style because she needs that for herself. And so I can imagine that that's not going to suit everybody and it's not going to be aligned to the way people want to really um, live in an autonomous way where they feel like there's a sense of, they have a sense of, you know, agency around their day in terms of how they do the work?
1: Yeah, well, here's, this, is, this is a great conversation. Um, uh, one of the things that I watched during uh, COVID lockdowns was managers who were not good at managing. It really became very, very obvious. They needed people around them to control the situation. Yes. They're the same people who would say to me, it's now time to... Um, performance manage this person out of the business, which just highlighted that they were not managing performance the rest of the time, In... <laughs> That's right, right. which exactly. is horrible. Um, and so uh, uh, it's always been about adaption. It's always been about evolution. And it, it, it is going to be the people who can evolve, the people who can actually shift and change themselves as much of their business models that are the ones that are gonna thrive uh, over the next five to 10 years.
0: So 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 I'm interested in that Russell in terms of what else you're seeing because you yeah. do work with a lot of business owners mm-hmm. and you you sort of help them change their mindsets in the way in which they're thinking and looking at the world. Yeah. So so you're talking about adaptation. What other things do you do you see that really needs to shift?
1: The the reliance that the office which was the center of all things does it need to be the center of all things? there's a real constant push. And it is from those people who, who do want that, that to hold on to the old way of doing things that we need to get people back in the office and it's getting the people back in the office, which is actually like losing them people and, and, and not enabling to attract more people. The, the shift from activities to outcomes, you know, um, that people have been saying that for a long time and poor management will go, I can't measure outcomes, but they're the easier ones to measure. Right, <laughs> and so um, it's 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 working back from that and going. All right, what outcomes yes. do I want rather than just doing busy work? Yeah, uh, and so those are certainly happening. Um, the other is, does my business? Oh, here's the actual. Here's the one. Uh, you will have heard the um, uh, high tech versus high touch discussion and argument. Yeah. There is a lot of service-based businesses, and I'm going to say that like this, for, it's, I've put up inverted commas for those listening on the podcast. Um, uh, service-based businesses that are putting right up front massive amounts of technology to weed out people so that they only speak to the people that they can transact with. And I'm thinking mortgage brokers in yeah. particular. Yeah. <laughs> right? And uh, they are... Losing opportunity, like hand over fist, at the same time as um making their life easier in the short term, the short term, you know they're not they're not growing, they're just doing the work that they've been doing, and they're okay to retirement potentially. Right. The 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 flip is, how do I qualify a client? Which is why communication becomes so key. How do I qualify somebody? Through the words that they're saying, the activities they're doing, to decide whether this is a person I want to work with or not, and then make the process easy. The uh, there's a in the marketing space, everyone talks about leads. How many leads you got? You know uh, what's your pipeline look like? Yes. And and it needs to flip because uh, people start looking at numbers and then they stop putting value on numbers. They look at a single yes. person, yeah, and they go, "That's just one." Well, that's just one that potentially could be $60,000, which means that if you've got 10, right? $600,000 worth of opportunity is right there. What are you doing to help that get into your world? And if they're not right for you, that's great. But uh, creating a brand experience for the ones that are right, that's poor, is not doing you any favors in in bringing those people into your business. So there's the no like trust conversation where people go, Alright, people need, uh, sorry, clients need to know who I am to decide if they like me to trust that I'm going to do the right thing by them. But even that's flipped on its head. It's now about you knowing them. Do you know this person who's inquired? Or are they a stranger? Do you know them? You should know them. If you're not, you're not speaking to your market enough or your markets too wide. Do you know them? Do you like them? Alright, do you like do you want to work with them because you have choices now? And do you trust that they will do the things that they need to do to make the process fun and interesting? Right? So will they do the work in a advisory conversation? Will they give me the documentation in a, uh, we'll call a finance space. Right? So no, like, and trust is flipped. And the only way you can do that is actually having uh, really strong communication uh, skills out there in the market.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful, and I really love that because you do see that a lot. You see it a lot, and you see a lot of service providers trying to sell you. Um, you know, and also you're often on the receiving end of people trying to, you know, grab you as a lead. Mm. And this lead, and you're right, people focus on numbers without really. They forget why we want that number. You know what that number means. What's the value of that number? They just focus on the number.
1: Yeah. I had to get a little tough with one of my clients uh, last week when they, uh, they put a piece of communication out. Um, uh, they had no pipeline two weeks ago. They put a piece of communication out after our discussion and I said, how'd it go? And they go, oh, I had a couple of conversations. I said, well, all right, give me the numbers. They give me the numbers. 45 people had responded to that piece of communication so people had uh, positive or negative, they responded and had started a conversation. 30 of those people actually said, yes, I'm interested. And then had a couple of conversations. Yeah. I uh, was a little beside myself and I made them actually count up the dollar value of these opportunities. Even the ones that are like, no, I don't want this thing. They've now in a conversation with you, you've opened a conversation. Exactly. So rather than go, okay, bye, Open it further. Yes. What's happening in your world? What's yes. currently going on? Understand. Can you help this person? Everyone's busy, so the short answer is not a problem. You've you've literally started a conversation. Yeah. And by flipping this, getting a little tough, um, uh, this person has already uh, got three invoices out. One of the pieces of work's already done within days of me doing that piece with them, <laughs> and they went from two weeks ago not having any pipeline to actually now having cash flow. Mm. And it's because I I got them to realize that this was not 45 people that responded, 45 numbers that responded. This is individuals who actually took the time to engage back with you. Stop disrespecting their engagement. Yes. Like respect it. Now Mm. open it and, and, and see how you can help
0: them. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, well, Russell, thank you so much for your time today. I'm sure we could um, have another conversation at at another stage because there's so much more to talk about. But um, thank you so much. I'm sure that um, for anyone that wants to reach out to you, I'll put some um, of your contact details on the on the show notes yeah, and of course people can go to russellpearson.com as well but um, I'll put your um, contact details there so people can reach out and open up another conversation so with yeah, 100% I'd love to speak to you thank yeah, you fantastic thank you so much bye bye